Hey, welcome to Coastal Community Church's online ministry. We are so thankful that you're making uh, this online ministry a part of your spiritual journey. And uh, we uh, want this sermon to encourage you and to help you grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ. However, at Coastal, we have a, a deep conviction that uh, every Christian should be a part of a local church. And so while we want to encourage you with this online ministry, we hope it's a part of your, your walk, your journey with Christ, we do want to encourage you to be in a local church. And so if you're on the peninsula and you don't have a local church, we would love to invite you to, to our location. Uh, we have two services. We meet at 101 Village Avenue uh, in Yorktown. We have two service times, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out Coastal Community Church in person and, and worship with us corporately. The second thing is I want to introduce our sermon series for the fall. Um, we're doing a sermon series called Distorted, and we believe that uh, sin and, and just the busyness of life sometimes distorts all that God has for us. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to really dive into the scriptures and, and talk about how we have distorted what God's best is for us and remind us how the person and work of Christ makes all that clear uh, as we uh, investigate the gospel of Christ, the word of God, and, and reminding us of the truths of God so that our lives are no longer distorted and we walk in the fullness of all that the Lord has for us. So thank you for being here and uh, week three of Distorted. And so do me a favor, man, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there may be one in a chair in front of you. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, do me a favor, take that one with you. You know, one of the, the uh, I guess, challenges of this series, uh, especially the first two weeks, is the idea that, that maybe uh, it was easy to apply this series to someone else, right? Like, oh man, Sean's preaching at the them out there. And I really want to kind of bring this to you this morning. I want us as a church to uh, hold up the mirror to ourselves. I, I don't ever think that uh, when we preach the gospel, and I've been kind of giving you, this series has been kind of a high-level view of the scriptures. And so, you know, we talked, started with the God who is and, and, and who our God is, who the God of the Bible is. And then last week we talked about the distorted image of God on, in man and that we're broken by sin. And, and so now we're going to begin to, pr to go forward into the gospel so that we understand we're not distorting the gospel in our hearts and in our minds and so that we understand uh, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And so this morning, I'm going to kind of hold the mirror up, and I want you to apply it to yourselves. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of the rich young ruler. So if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard that character. Uh, you're aware of that character. But what's interesting is it takes three Gospels to piece together the story of the rich young ruler. In fact, uh, Matthew and, and Mark and Luke all tell us that this character that comes to Jesus is wealthy, uh, but you don't know that he's a ruler or that he has authority unless you look at the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 19 tells us that this man has authority. Mark shows us, Mark chapter 10 shows us the sincerity of this man as he comes to Jesus and, and that he bows down and he, and he gives, uh, he shows some level of Jesus' superiority. And of course, all three Gospels tell us that he's, he's wealthy and he approaches Jesus and he approaches Jesus with this very question. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. What do I need to do to have salvation? What do I need to do to have eternal life? What does that look like for me? In fact, I want you to imagine if someone coming up to you today after the service and asking you this question, what do I need to do to go to heaven? 
What do I need to do to have eternal life? I want you to imagine someone asking you that. I mean, how would you respond? What would you say? In fact, I want you to imagine that maybe this morning, of course, it would be an odd morning to do that, but you invited a neighbor, and for whatever reason, they said, you know what, I'm going to brave Hurricane Matthew, and I'm going to church this morning. I haven't been in years. And they come with you, and at the end of the service, they look at you and say, you know what, I think I, I, think I want to become a Christian. I think I, I think I want to inherit eternal life. And you brought them to me, and you said, Pastor Sean, this... This friend of mine, this neighbor that I've been praying for and serving and looking for the opportunity to introduce the gospel of Jesus Christ, they want to know how to have salvation. They want to know how to inherit eternal life. I mean, what would you expect me to say? If you've grown up in church life for any length of time, I know the standard answer, right? Someone comes to you and says, hey, what do I need to do to have eternal life? What would you say? You probably would say, well, you need to accept what? What what do you say next? Jesus into your what? You need to accept Jesus into your heart. It's kind of the common Christian language, church language. And so could you imagine if you brought that person to me and instead of talking to, instead of me leading them to Christ, instead of me saying, well, yeah, you need to accept Jesus. What if I started with this? You bring your neighbor. They want to inherit eternal life. You bring your neighbor up to me and I say, well, you know what? Uh, looks like you're a little overweight. You must be struggling with gluttony. Do you know gluttony is a sin? Like, how, what if I started there? How would you feel about that gospel presentation? You probably would get a little uncomfortable, right? And then I went on with, well, listen, um, don't lie and honor your parents and don't murder anyone and you should be fine. How many of y'all would be comfortable with that gospel presentation? All right, probably most of you would be like... I, think I might need to find another church, right? Yet, that is exactly what Jesus does. So take it up with Jesus. That's what I would say. Take it up with Jesus, right? It's exactly what Jesus does. And why would Jesus do this? I mean, I thought the message of the Bible, I thought the message of inheriting eternal life was salvation is received by grace alone through faith alone. I, I thought there was no place for earning in the gospel message of salvation, I, I thought that the works and the doing of good works is the overflow of a heart centered on Christ. I didn't know that we had to do things to inherit eternal life. And so when this rich young ruler approaches Jesus, Jesus holds up the law of God. Fascinating. And so the first thing I want you to see this morning is that the law reveals the true nature of our heart. So Jesus gives the law of God. And the law reveals the true nature of our heart. And, and the reason he does that goes back to last week. And so these three sermons in a row in the story have been building upon themselves. So if you're coming in on week three, I want to encourage you, go back and listen to the previous two. Because Jesus is holding up the law of God so that the distorted and broken image of God on the heart of man would be revealed. Because the law of God reflects the very character of God. If you don't understand the character of God, you're not going to understand your need for salvation and the need for the gospel. And so in Luke chapter 18, so let's dive into the passage. Luke 18, verse 18. There was a religious leader, once a religious leader, a rich young ruler asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus says, only God is truly good. What in the world is Jesus doing here? Jesus is trying to get this man to reflect on the character of God. This is his starting place. Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And so God's character is good. Not only is it good, it's perfectly good. God cannot have any evil, sin, pride, selfishness, conceit, adultery, lying, coveting, worrying, gossip in his presence. Not even the smallest doses of these things will be acceptable in the holy and good presence of the God of the Bible. In fact, his holiness will, will consume evil. And the challenge is that most of us deep down, I mean, if the truth be told, most of us deep down think that we're basically good right? I mean, as parents, we do this all the time, right? No matter, I mean, no matter how rotten that our kids act, right? No matter how rotten our kids are, we say things like, well, I know that they have a good what? Oh, you've said it too, right? I know they have a good heart. I know that he or she is a good person, Now, here's what I think we mean by that as parents, and I think this is healthy and good. I think what we mean is I love my kids regardless of what they do, right? And and that's an okay thing, and we should feel that way about our children. But the truth be told, our, our children do not naturally have a good heart. Did you know that? In fact, none of us is born with a naturally good heart, Pastor Joey and his wife Braden recently had their first son, and you know many of us around the community of Coastal here were excited for them. I was especially excited for them, and and so I texted them when they're in the hospital, and after I knew the baby was born, I said, "How is everybody? How's how's mom? How's baby?" And he texted me back, and he said, "He's perfect." I texted him back and said, "You know better." So. It's awful being preachers, man. I mean, you can't even enjoy the birth of your kid, right? And I was like, you know better. He's not perfect. <laughs> and so Jesus, this guy comes and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, right? And so, and so Jesus says, why do you call me good teacher? Nobody's good except God. Jesus here is trying to get this man. He's trying to wake this man up to his spiritual condition. And so then he goes from there. So the next thing he does is he tries to shock this man out of his spiritual stupor. And some of you this morning, you need to be shocked out of your spiritual stupor. Some of you are walking around here and you're comparing yourselves to others. That is not the comparison. And that is why we need the law of God. And so Jesus holds up the law of God as a spiritual reflection. He mirrors his character to this guy. And so in Luke chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus says, well, enough of that little side note, okay, that no one's good except God. But he says, to answer your question, verse 20, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery and don't murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. There's been, this, there's been this distortion. That's why I'm calling this a distorted sermon. There's been this misunderstanding in Protestant churches that the law of God is somehow not for us, that the law of God is somehow bad, that the law of God is somehow a disservice to the church. 
And the reason we've gotten there, and by the way, this is not true. This is the distortion of the law of God. The law of God is the gracious revelation of God's character for us. If we didn't know that, we wouldn't ever know our need. And we've gotten this distortion out of misunderstanding verses like Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Check this out. The Apostle Paul writes this. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. True. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so we read that and we say, oh, wait a minute, I'm free from the law. Okay? you got to read it more closely than that. What you're failing to understand is that, G, that Paul here is talking about sinners who have rejected the gospel, okay? If you've rejected the gospel, you are not free from the law of sin and death. In Christ, you are free from the curses of the law, okay? And in Christ, you receive the blessings of the law. But apart from Christ, you are under the cursings of the law of God. But in Christ, we're free from the law of sin and death. In the flesh, the law has been condemned. Our freedom is in Christ alone. But in the flesh, apart from Christ, what we deserve is the curses of the law, which is what? According to the scriptures, the Bible says the wages of sin is what, church? Death. So, I mean, so that's the curse of the law. It's both physical and spiritual. And this is why, by the way, the Apostle Paul just one chapter earlier in the letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 7, verse 12 says, So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and the law is righteous and it's good. This is what makes the law of God so important. What makes the law of God so important is we tend to take, the law, take ourselves, we tend to take our behavior, we tend to take our lives, we tend to compare it to others. We tend to say, well, I, at least I, I'm not as bad as, and we fill in the blank. We look for somebody that we consider our lives to be better than theirs, to be more, more moral than theirs, so at least I'm not as bad as. Jesus here, he's attempting to get to this young man's heart. Listen, this young man cannot accept Jesus until he first knows he needs a Savior. By the way, this is part, the problem I have with many gospel presentations, you know, in this culture, like we have these massive Christian events, conferences, Men's ministries, mixed ministries, men and women ministries together, right? And they'll have these huge movements and these, these groups will declare that hundreds and thousands of people got saved. And my pushback is like, if thousands of people got saved in one day, like it would make a dramatic difference in our culture the next day. Like if we left a men's ministry and thousands of men got saved, why is Hooters still in business, Right? I would be shut down because the men would say, man, I have no business going there and indulging my flesh while I watch TV and eat food. And much of what we've passed off as a gospel presentation or getting saved or following Jesus have left off the very thing that Jesus starts with. 
Jesus starts with the law, and he says to this young man, this rich young ruler who has everything, by the way, by worldly standards, he says, you are going, one day you're going to stand before the God of the universe, and he's holy, and it's going to be a terrifying place. And the young man not get this, what Jesus was trying to show him. And so in Luke 18, he was trying to show him his self-righteousness. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. This young man did not understand his sin. He didn't understand that his sin literally was a stench in the nostrils of a holy God. This man did not understand that his sin smelled so bad that for God to still love him and have a relationship with him, God was willing to place his son, wrap his son in human flesh, place him on earth, and have him be subject to one of the most horrific deaths known to man to pay the penalty of the law's demands. So let me clarify for you this morning. Your self-righteousness... It will not hold up when truly exposed to the law of God. The message of the Bible is not you're okay, I'm okay, accept Jesus into your heart. The message of the gospel is God is holy. You're not, and what you deserve is to be consumed by the holiness of God. And so Jesus then cuts to the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter is this. He takes and he combines the tenth commandment with the first commandment. So I want you to see this. He takes commandment number one, commandment number ten. Commandment number one is to worship God alone. The tenth commandment is don't covet And so in Luke chapter 18, verse 22, then Jesus said, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and then come and follow me. He combines coveting and worship. The beginning part of this verse is literally the idea of repentance The ending part of the verse is then accept Jesus or believe in Jesus or literally come and follow me. Be my disciple. Walk with me on a daily basis. He lets this man know that what really has your heart is not God, but it's your stuff. You love your stuff and your wealth and your belongings more than God. By the way, this, this passage often gets ripped out and gets taught in a poor way, right? It gets taught that it, this often gets taught, this is often the teaching here is about material things. And, and it certainly can be used to teach on that, but it really misses the bigger point of what Jesus is teaching here. The bigger point is that the question is does, does the stuff that you have. Do you have stuff or does stuff have you, right? That, that's what coveting means, right? Are you satisfied with what you have? Do you, are you okay with the stuff that God has provided for you or does your stuff really have you? This is big, the bigger issue here is a worship issue. This is the affections of your heart. And the affections of your heart, by the way, can be laid on all kinds of things other than worship to God, commandment number one. I mean, it can be people can be reputation it could be being religious it could be being successful or getting revenge or getting another high or getting another look on the internet or getting a, getting involved with the latest gossip at work can be having another sexual encounter the list goes on and on and on of the things that can have your heart apart from worshiping god 
And the issue that Jesus is getting at is, is really, what is it, the worship of your heart? What is the captured your heart? And that's why the next verse, Luke 18, 23 says, but when the man heard this, he became very sad. Why? Because he was very rich. And so back to the original question. What was the original question? How do I have eternal life? And so Jesus turns back to the original question in Luke 18, verse 24. And when Jesus saw this, so this man goes away, he's sad because he's wealthy. He says, man, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible for people is what, church? Possible for God. Isn't that encouraging, by the way? And we have to be careful here because a lot of people take this passage and say, well, man, if you want to get into heaven, you better sell everything. It's kind of like the idea of buying your way into heaven, right? And that's not what Jesus is teaching. The idea is not buy your way into heaven. The answer is actually found in what is Jesus, what, what the The main idea here is found in verse 27. We worship, church, the God of possibilities. We worship the God of possibilities. What Jesus is talking about is the work that only God can do. He's talking about the idea of spiritual rebirth. He's talking about the idea of spiritual rebirth, which you find actually in John chapter 3. And I'm going to switch stories on you for a minute, okay, to help illustrate. All right, John chapter 3, there's a religious leader that comes and visits Jesus. His name is Nicodemus, right? And he wants to know a similar thing, how to inherit eternal life. And and, and in John chapter 3, Nicodemus doesn't even ask a question. He just kind of shows up and introduces himself. And Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth, John 3, 3. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. The idea of being born again is this idea of of spiritual rebirth. We're not talking this morning about temporal things. We're, We're talking about weighty spiritual matters of things unseen. In fact, one of the reasons if you're talking to someone who's not yet a believer, not yet a Christian, and you start talking about spiritual truths, and they, you're like, why can't I get through? Why, does it look like, why do they have a glaze over their eyes? Why, why is this not making sense? Because they're not born again. There's, there's, there's people in our Christian culture that call themselves Christians, yet when they're in a habitual sin and you confront them with their sin and there's no remorse, the reason there's no remorse could be because they're not born again. You can't grow that which is not yet alive. The Bible says we're spiritually dead apart from being born again. And it's a supernatural work of the Lord. John 3, 6, in talking to Nicodemus, Jesus goes on to say, humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit does what, church? Gives birth to spiritual life. So if you're here this morning and your heart's captured by spiritual things and you're a worshiper of Jesus Christ, you want to know why that is? Because the Holy Spirit has awakened your dead heart to spiritual things. Isn't that great news? It's not the, it's not the, it's the work of God alone. It's not by doing. So we, we kind of have this idea that somehow we earn our way to heaven. It's not by selling all that you have, okay? That's just making sure your heart's not captured by stuff. Jesus here is talking about the God of possibilities. The message of the gospel is not doing. The message of the gospel is done. 
Jesus has done the work. The message of Jesus is not do. The message of Jesus is not even accept Jesus into your heart. The message of the gospel is repent and believe. The message of the gospel is repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of the law, which is only Jesus kept, is credited to you by grace through faith. The works of the law are done. They have been kept for you. They have been fulfilled in Christ. We don't earn eternal life. It has been earned for us, freely given, when our hearts engage in worship to God's plan of salvation, which is His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to make a bold statement. Ready? You're, you're actually saved by works. Don't get up and leave just yet, okay? It's just not your works. It's not your works. You're saved by the works of another. The works of Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, when we, when we, when we present the gospel at Coastal, a lot of times we talk about the person and the work of Christ. And a lot of times when you hear the work of Christ, what you hear is just his death on the cross, and it ends there, all right? That's, that's true, but it's shortening the gospel. Let me expand the works of Christ. Christ lived a perfect life. That means he kept the law of God perfectly. He kept the works of the law, and therefore, he's the only person that walked planet Earth that was due covenant blessings. All the blessings of the Old Testament covenant that was supposed to be for those who are law keepers, Jesus did. Then he hung on the cross, and while he was on the cross, he suffered and he died. He paid the payment of law curses. He bore the curses of the law. Then they laid him in the grave, and the grave couldn't hold him. Three days later, he rose from the grave, authenticating both his claims, his person, and his work. And then when you repent of your sin, you understand, man, where I really stand in the presence of holy God. You repent of your sin and you believe in the good news or the, work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. The, the works, the good works that Jesus did are now credited to your spiritual bank account, if you will. Isn't that cool? It's like you're a kid of Bill Gates. You're loaded and you don't even know it yet, right? The works of Christ are now given to you by grace alone, through faith alone. That is how you inherit eternal life. So here's the good news. You ready? Here's why we do this thing called church. Here's why we gather corporately. Here's why we open the doors and preach the word, even on Hurricane Matthew weekend. right? And it's because of verse 27. We worship the God of the impossible. Spiritual rebirth is not possible with men, but it's possible with God. All the stuff that we do around here, coastal week in and week out, is because God is still in the business of changing people's hearts. Isn't that good news? 
Even on a week when attendance is down, there may be someone right now that the gospel, the Holy Spirit is taking the preached word and you realize, you know what, I have been in rebellion to God and one day I'm going to be held up and I'm going to be examined by the law and by the character of God and I'm going to be found wanting, but man, my only hope is a big Savior, Jesus Christ. We never know when. We never know how. We worship the God of the God who does impossible things. He's the God of the possible. You ever been to a store where they take your $20 bill and before they, before they ex- do the business exchange with you, they, they take that $20 bill and they hold it up to the light? You ever been to a store where they do that? I hate when they do that. I get really nervous, actually. I mean, my heart starts beating, right? What are they doing? When they do that, when they hold that $20 bill up to the light, what are, they lo- what are they doing? They're looking for a counterfeit, right? I usually say, hey, be careful that I just printed it this morning, right? You know, so just, no, they're, they're holding it up and they're examining. I don't know what exactly they're looking for, but they know, right? They're looking for, hey, is this thing the real deal or, or is this a counterfeit? And I get nervous because I'm like, I worked for that. I don't want to be ripped off with my 20, right? I'm going to tell you something. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell this rich young ruler. There's going to come a day, man, where your life is going to be held up to the light. And your life is going to be held up to the light of the character of God. And by the way, God's not looking for you to, to be good. He's looking for you to be perfect. And you're going to be held up to the character of the law of God, his, his law and his character and his holiness, and you're going to be viewed. And, and the truth is, you, some of you this morning are hanging on to a counterfeit. Some of you think, man, I, if you think you're going to stand before the character of God and go, man, I, I was religious. I went, I went to church every Sunday. I even put money in the plate. I found a place of service. It's going to be a counterfeit. Some of you are holding on to your own life. Some of you are holding on, some of you here this morning, you're holding on to your own intellect. As if you're as if somehow as I preach the gospel message, you think you're smarter than God. Some of you are holding on to truth as you see it. You know, when I preached the last couple weeks, I preached some uncomfortable messages, right? And, and you're like, I, I disagree with that. I'm the molder of truth as I see it. And, you're gonna, and one day you're going to stand before God. He's going to examine your life. He's going to be held up in the light of the character of God. And you're going to be found a counterfeit. Some of you are pursuing dying and decaying things here on earth. Some of you are pursuing worldly thinking. What is true and what's not true. And one day your life's going to be examined by the law and by the character of God. And you better be found perfect on that day. Perfect. You better be found to be the perfect law keeper. And if you're honest this morning, if you're thinking about this, if you put your thinking cap on for just a few minutes, you're honest in your thinking of this, it really should mortify you, yes? 
Because if you're honest, you're going to, you know what, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to fail. Which means one thing, ready? And here's, I, I hate when I'm watching a movie and they make fun of this in our culture. You need to be saved. You don't need to be good. You need to be saved. You need to be saved from the penalty of your sin. You don't need behavior modification. You don't need to try harder. You need a Savior. You need a Savior who's the very Son of God. You need a Savior who is the law keeper. You need a Savior who intervened and paid a debt that you owed, a debt that you could never repay. You need a Savior who they laid in the grave, and the grave couldn't hold him. You need a Savior who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to God except through me. You need that Savior this morning. Maybe that's you. Maybe as I'm talking, you're like, man, I'm holding on to a counterfeit this morning. Today's a great opportunity to do business with God. Maybe you're here this morning, you have a friend or a loved one that's far from God, and and they're not even here this morning, right? And you you wish they could hear the message. I got news for you. God is still in the business of changing hearts, minds, and lives. Isn't that good news? Spirit of God's at work. Parents, as you're bringing up your children, it's imperative that you plant, implant the words of God in the hearts of your children because you never know when God will use these words to change their heart and life forever and give them spiritual rebirth. The message of the gospel is not doing. The message of the gospel is done. Let's go back to the original question. What must I do to inherit eternal life. Repent of your sins, revealed to us by the law of God, and believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, revealed to us by the grace of our Lord. The law of God is holy and righteous and good, revealing our need to be saved from our sin, and reminding us of our need of a Savior. Let's close with prayer. If you're here this morning and uh, the Spirit of God's working on you and and as I preach and the truth of God is revealing your heart's need, that's that's a good thing. That's a spiritual thing. There may be something going on in your heart and life this morning that really is a, a spiritual rebirth. Let me encourage you this morning, don't do business with the Lord this morning. I'm going to pray a simple prayer, but uh, man, there's nothing magical necessarily about the prayer. It's just an opportunity to do business with God. It's an opportunity to say, you know what, God, I don't, I don't want to stand on in front of you and the day of judgment in my life be a counterfeit. I want you to recognize this morning, you can't keep the law. Our heart's desire, naturally, we're in rebellion to the character and the law of God. I want you to understand, you need a, you don't need a little medicine. You don't need a small doctor. You need a big Savior who saves us from our sin. If that's going on in your heart right now, that's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit 
doing this thing called spiritual rebirth. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And again, there's nothing simple. There's nothing magical. There's an opportunity to do business with God. I would encourage you to pray along with me. Heavenly Father, it's become clear to me this morning, as best I understand it, that I'm a sinner. One day I'm going to be sifted. I'm I'm going to stand before the God of the universe and it's going to be revealed that I'm in rebellion. It's going to be revealed that I'm a counterfeit. It's going to be revealed that I'm a sinner. Heavenly Father, it's become clear to me this morning that I need saving from the penalty of my sin. It's best to understand it this morning, God, I turn from my sin and I, I trust in your way of salvation, which is your son, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died a death that I deserve and he rose from the grave authenticating his claims. As best I understand this morning, God, I repent of my sins. I believe in him and I understand that his works are now credited to me by grace alone through faith alone. So when I stand before you one day and give an account, you won't see my works. You'll see the works of your son, Jesus Christ. Perfect. Holy righteous and good. Heavenly Father, for the rest of us in the room that are Christians, we, it's just a, kind of a morning where we pause and we just reflect on the gospel and we are so grateful, God, for our great and mighty Savior. And that's why we've gathered here to worship. We are grateful to you. Your love for us, displayed for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen and amen. I'll tell you what, if you